Hello, everybody, and welcome to an end of year latest shiny episode. I have a special guest today, Eric Wright from the Disco Posse podcast. Actually, your podcast, you are Disco Posse. The podcast is called. Yeah, it literally is the Disco Posse podcast. The, uh, podcast. I, I'm, right. I'm so lack in branding capability. You know, that is that is the smart way to go. Then there's no confusion over over what you are in your alias. I like it. Uh, Eric and I have done a couple of podcasts together on Lady Shiny and on Dis on Disco Posse. And uh, when it came to doing a year end tech review, uh, it's really a year forward tech review is the way I'd, I'd rather do this. Um, you were you were at the top of my list. So I appreciate you jumping on and, and agreeing to uh, lay it out there with some predictions and some forward looking insights. Yeah, thank you. And it's like an honor, as always, to share a microphone and, and opine on on the how we see the world in our our, our active use and, and hopeful uh, forward views. <laughs> that makes makes a lot of sense to me. And I'll, I'll note for listeners, um, Mark Keely and I did a different, totally different uh, year looking forward where we basically said, all right, if the answer is Amazon eats the world, what does that mean? Is that avoidable type of podcast? And so I, I highly recommend that. It's not, we're not, we didn't dig deep into the tech as much, but into the thoughts behind uh, the Amazon only world or the big cloud only world. So invite, I invite people to enjoy that and comment on it because that will make your blood boil <laughs> more likely <laughs> than not. So, so Eric, I, I laid out a couple of topics for us to, to cover uh, cloud, big cloud, um, in general, Kubernetes, Edge, um, some on-premises like VMware type stuff. Um, where do you want to dig in? Well, I think the I, I, I like that Kubernetes and Edge is a great lead into like where the world is, what's going to be huge in, in 2020 and beyond. Uh, I think that there's an incredible focus shift uh, not in that Kubernetes is like, yay, they've won the container wars. We kind of, we got like done and done. We've, we, we know that's done and dusted. We figured out that that's happened. However, uh, the way in which it's going to be consumed and the direction it's going to go. And also I think where it's going to go is actually more important. That's where we get into the edge piece. So, uh, I really just dig the idea that Kubernetes is a, a phenomenal way in which it's opened people's eyes to a new consumption pattern for technology, uh, for infrastructure. It's going to suck in all sorts of ways, uh, and <laughs> but I don't think those are solvable things, and and it's certainly not in the year that's ahead. Uh, but I I think moving to ARM, moving to Edge is really where the wicked cool stuff is going to be in the course of the next 12 to 18 months in in my opinion. Interesting. So you so you think edge or you think arm has a has a has an up and coming factor what makes what makes arm attractive to you compared to, you know, the the current dominance with intel. Yeah, this is where the I think why we talked about in IoT and, and, and Edge and, and where this stuff all lives and when it really comes down to what I'm seeing a lot of when we get into small form factor devices, when we get into things mm -hmm. that are going to live on cell towers, that are going to live on inside cars, I'm seeing that while Intel you know, has an obviously a dominant a hunk of the market, uh, that the ARM 
architectures are going to be where those small devices are. You're seeing that AWS, of course, has their their ARM architectures that are there. We've seen other folks like Packet that have already done that, and, and DigitalOcean is going to open the door to that. Uh, Microsoft has been doing a lot around that. So I think there's even even, even VMware from a on-premises perspective, right? Um, yeah, and th- and that's why I think that's it's funny that I think Kubernetes created the opportunity for democratization and commoditization of container schedulers and container platforms. The architectures they're going to live on, I think, are obviously going to be dominantly Intel, but we're going to see a, a stronger move towards ARM, and and that will enable more edge capabilities. And hmm. then in doing that massive move. VMware is going to try and claw back those ownership of those workloads, rightly so, because they need to, and and they're also going to play strongly in those those places, and that's where we're going to see the stuff like like Tanzu and their stuff around vSphere on on ARM, and you know why did they do vSphere and ARM? Not because you're going to run a hyper a vSphere you know host running traditional VMs on a Raspberry Pi, because you'd probably be a bit of an idiot if you did that for any production workloads. <laughs> However, yeah. vSphere is a con, is a, a hypervisor that creates the opportunity for them to own the control plane. So if they can get all of their stuff to run on vSphere on a really light vSphere on ARM, then that means that when they get to you know Tanzu as a control plane for everything containers, rock and roll, right? It, it can own whether it's Intel, ARM, whatever it is, as long as it's vSphere under the covers in some sense, they've got a huge opportunity to kind of maintain that both dominance on-prem and then own potentially a hunk of the future before it becomes a runaway thing that the telcos just eaten and, and <laughs> spit back at us. All right, Mark, or Eric, sorry. You, you've created a technology smorgasbord of strategy uh, statements <laughs> in this case. I, I mean, and I, I think that this is, wow. All right, so... Let's unpack this because it's an interesting it's an interesting sequence of predictions. The ARM stuff, without a doubt, has is is continuing to gain momentum, but it's people people need to remember it's still a different architecture. And so you, you containers that get built for Intel do not work on ARM. VMs that are right ARM focused aren't gonna work on you know, you're not gonna be just pick up your AMI or your your VHD and drop it onto an ARM server. It's different architecture. You have to the build or compile for that architecture. It's not. It's not just a simple replacement like Atom to Intel is, or you know AMD to Intel. It's these are these are pretty radically different components. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. And this is and people start to have to make that choice. It's almost like Android versus iOS. Like if you think about who's your market. Yeah. So what do we do? We create wrappers for it, right? So we'll write it in React in that case, like write in React Native, then you can run on both platforms. Well, that's like, you know, shipping your code, like changing your your current code, like run it in Go, and then you can compile it for any underlying platform. Super cool. You you can, but but it's it's still still different binaries, right? It's not like that binary is portable. And and also just the fact- 
the fact that we're going to create, like you can create nine lines of code to run a Pixie boot server and go, and you compile it for Windows and it's like 39 megabytes. Like this is the most disturbing way to write code. But, you know, it, that write once, run anywhere mentality is still there. So I think there's going to be huge efficiency opportunities that are going to be there in 2021 because we're going to screw things up pretty hardcore in, in 2020 <laughs> trying, to, trying to port stuff over. Uh, and I that's a huge opportunity. If you're... If you're um, in a startup mindset, becoming an uh, becoming an un, like a, an abstraction to effectively port stuff to ARM is going to be a pretty uh, wicked area of innovation. I think. Oh my goodness! I I would caution people against that. That's funny. and it's it's dangerous because it's we don't know that it's actually going to like land and, yeah, the, and we don't the, know the right the way. Of the ARM the year of the ARM server is as elusive as the year of the Linux desktop. Uh, from that, perspective. <laughs> that is very it, true. Right. I mean, I mean, we we're doing with, you know, rack and we're doing some really exciting stuff coming with pies. And I, I think there's some interesting aspects to operationalizing pies and arm, but the they're operationally not there. Um, no, you, know, and this is, you, this you have to, you have to be able to actually run the infrastructure. Um, that's I expensive. Think that the next piece as well is is what workloads will require you to diversify your underlay, like in your underlying infrastructure. Mm. And I think of one of the neat use cases that I've talked to a few folks out and we're seeing it kind of come into play is the idea of distributed ML, kind of like grid 2.0, right? So, you know, remember the days where you would have your You'd, you'd be running your 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 SETI, you know, every time your CPU goes idle, you run some SETI stuff and, and you're contributing to the grid computing pool. Well, we've got this idea that you can do the same thing with small devices and like, can you locally process certain amounts of, of AI and machine learning on the local device before sending it back to the mothership? And that'll be useful for things like uh, fitness tools and and driving tools and stuff that can actually not have to have continuous communication in a sense in the way that AWS Outpost is trying to tackle that problem of like disaggregated centralized computing so it's going to act like ah. the core it's going to communicate to the core but when it can't it can survive without that connectivity and and that in my sense my opinion is where the arm stuff will be like kind of a neat play for it you know uh anyway that's it's a monstrous I, you know hope for, for what could be well, done i think it's a reasonable thing to think about it you know machine lang machine learning and ai will be a big part of the edge story which means that a lot of the infrastructure that's built will be you know you know fpga gpu specific and the hardware is going to be a whole different management challenge and i, I do think that you know, I, I keep hoping that the, the coming year is going to be the year where we actually talk about operations and management. Right? The the, the secret for AWS is that's really what they're selling you is they're selling you manage <laughs> IT outsourcing. Um, you well, mentioned Outpost. Yeah, go ahead. The, the interesting thing about that, and I think we talked about this. Like that's, I, I think we could do we could do a full half hour just stand alone the idea of like human. IT operations as humans would all be amazing cyclists because they have an incredible pain tolerance. It's disturbing mm. how much we're able to live with and kind of survive through. But I think we're all, we're eventually, we're starting to get sick of it. Uh, and so finally, like you said, this idea of like just solving the operations problem is, is becoming easier to sell than it used to be 
five years ago and and even one year ago. I mean, I'm seeing in the work that I'm doing, obviously with you know with Turbonomic, I'm 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 kind of like we're tackling a very specific thing of trying to get people to automate stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's easier. They're like, ah, okay, this makes sense. Like before you'd have to be like, no, trust me, trust me, trust me, see it, trust me. And it was like a long, a long tail. Um, but anyway, sorry, that's I, I don't want to pull down that that one. <laughs> Well, the, what you're saying, the, this to me is what's, what's interesting about these predictions because, you know, in the past we've had predictions and we've done, done shows like this where it's like this technology, that technology, this technology. What the prediction to me ends up being there is no single thread that you're going to pull. The sweater, it's a sweater. It's not a thread. And so you, you don't get to have this choice where you can say, oh, this one new tech, this cool new startup doing this one thing is going to be interesting. Like even Kubernetes. Kubernetes right now is about to get interesting, not because of Kubernetes, but because of a constellation of projects on top of it. Um, and that's where that it's all this all interconnected stuff, right? It could be VMware shows up in a really interesting way, but it's not because it's VMware with hypervisor. It's because it's VMware with, you know, containers and their networking and their storage and the Right, how that interacts with ARM hardware, and it's 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 a it's a mess. And oper- that means operations is you, you can't ignore the operational aspect. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. I keep hoping that the next year is going to be the year where we talk about solving uh, operations. I think with Edge, continue on my rant. You don't have a choice. You have oh, yeah, to. You have absolutely. to bake up op- operations into Edge. And the tools that we have today have not really worried too much about operations or day two operations. Yeah, Edge is like you, you legitimately can't even start uh, uh, a plan of, of doing any work in Edge if you think if you're working manually. It just is it's dead on on arrival. And it's it's oh, I, people are, are going to try, you. but I think they'll they'll hit the they'll hit the hurt locker a lot faster. <laughs> than they will in like running data center scale stuff because it because you've got a there's a veiled sense of control when you can physically see it in a room right and whether right or wrong we've we still believe that's why people distrusted cloud because they're like I don't know where it is you know where it is it's in it's in Virginia you can go drive by it don't get too close they'll, they'll they've got guns and razor wire but like you like you know where these data centers are like you can drive by the supernav i'm like i'm pretty sure there's a bunch of cloud stuff sitting in there but mm-hmm. when you can physically walk in the room you you're like ah this warm comfort blanket of like ah, i can go touch the server if something goes sideways with edge like there's never going to be that option you like you try it once just to see if it works and then you put that sucker on a drone or on a cell tower and that's it. You better have right. lights out operations from, or, or get, from the get ship it, or it's ship or it's running on a jet fighter or an autonomous truck or whatever. Yeah, it's, this is it's a different story. The weird thing to me about all that that is that we we typically say, oh, I installed Kubernetes and now I have Edge, but, <laughs> or you know, I've installed VMware and now we have Edge. And a lot of people are doing exactly this. They're they're just saying, oh yeah, I'm just installing this platform and then they think they're done. Um, and this yeah, is where outposts. I, I, I've run Minikube, therefore I'm a Kubernetes administrator. Yeah, you try upgrading right. it. <laughs> so it's like, we went through that with OpenStack. Uh, I'll I'll stop us before we go down that road. But you know what I mean? Like day zero mm-hmm. and day one 
way different than day two. <laughs> well, the, the frustration you have is that those the platforms are not designed from an administrative operational perspective, right? That's nobody nobody sat down with with OpenStack. That's not uh, nobody's too strong a word, but it, it wasn't a dominant theme to say this is long-term infrastructure, how do we maintain it? I, Kubernetes isn't having that conversation very well, right? Kubernetes itself wasn't designed to say, all right, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a three month release cycle. How am I maintaining my cluster over that period of time, right? What, is, what does that look like? What are the dependencies? How do all that stuff fit together? Um, and this is where Outpost gets really interesting. Um, because Outpost is this very strange acknowledgement that on-premises is important, right? And on-premises is a weird word here. It's, it just means operator-owned infrastructure. But we're, they're really saying, but we, you're not smart enough to manage it. We're going we're gonna to control the control plane. And actually, they even control the data plane to an extent. And we're, we're, the thing that's interesting to me with Outpost is now we're having this conversation of, wait a second, who's actually managing my control plane for me? And, and can that be outsourced and should that be outsourced? Right. And this is the, so the neat thing, like I, I think I, I had a great uh, podcast with Ben Kehoe. Uh, we talked about Outpost before when it got announced and, and like kind of what it would look like. And, and I've talked to folks in like what the use cases are going to be in the real field. And it's really neat to see. And, and it's funny because Years ago, I sort of laid this weird prediction down that uh, that AWS is going to be is going to move into the data center game, and of course, it just didn't make sense. And if you actually asked Andy Jesse at the time, probably would have said no because there's no point. The world's going to the cloud. Well, guess what? The world is slow, uh, and so now that they've realized that, you know, let's get rid of that control plane problem and. And like you said, sort of outsource the control plane and then let them, because they've, we have enough trouble just refactoring and rewriting these apps to replatform into, you know, cloud native. Uh, I mean, hell, even if it's monolith running on, on, on AWS, on EC2, it's still like, it doesn't exactly act and, and the operational factors aren't there the same way they were before. So, you know, which, you know, throwback, you know, to what you talked about at the start, being, making a bold prediction that we're going to move a bunch of, of containers to ARM, like, yeah, good luck with that kid, uh, because, you know, we are really refactoring a lot of those, those really cute abstractions are not really cute. They're really onerous and difficult to manage and create. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even, even something as simple as recompiling in a different, you know, a different set of libraries can be risky from that perspective and performance can change. It's sort of weird. I, the, the thing that I, I get curious, though, about is this idea that we're going to give all of the control plane over to Amazon, right? I mean, and Microsoft is doing something similar, um, a little bit more disconnected. Azure or Google has got um, their own sort of thing, but it's, 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 it's still a managed, remote managed control plane. I mean, these aren't, these are like sort of edge things, but they're really just appliances, outsourced IT. I mean, is that where we are now that, that we've just given up on being able to run our own infrastructure? Is that, is that what the decade's going to be? It's like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to always rely on somebody else to do that. I, I, I think in a way it is. And, and it's, if I go and I try and 
we had this neat thing that people saw as a statistic that that they love to quote, and I think I even my team uses it all the time. They talk about like you know I think it was Gartner or whatever. I won't give the exact quote, but the 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 idea uh, is the statistics say that by the year twenty twenty five that eighty percent of of organizations will be out of the data center management game, right? And I think that that is true, but what you don't see is that how are they getting out of the game? They're moving mm. to managed co-location. They're moving into switch. They're moving into AWS, you know, being in their data center and they're gonna sort of eventually sort of ease up on, on how much operational stuff they do. So they may not be in the server management game. They may be in some other level of, you know, it'll make sense at some point that they'll just have, you know, you know, like this, it'll be like AWS outposts, you know, in betweeners, there'll be people that are like, I want AWS outposts, but I don't want to be all in the cloud. I've got a managed colo. I'm, it's it's going to be a mix and match of stuff. So I think there is a fundamental shift from 10 years ago, for sure, and definitely 20, that people don't, they realize it, it's, it's costly for just day-to-day -day operational costs and just people cost of operating infrastructure when we've got some really smart people who are yeah like just sifting through dashboards and alerts every day going hey is it good are we up we good you know instead of hey you know can we help the development team to uh, understand how to better consume and, and use you know containerized platforms and stuff like that uh yeah I, I see what you're saying i mean at first i think the word on premises is now like a complete misnomer, right? We need to just say on cloud or off cloud, it's, <laughs> right. It's, right? It's right because when I say non uh, on premises, I never assume that that you know somebody's running a data center in their on their campus or you know they're in their server closet. They're you know my assumption is it's operator owned and managed infrastructure. Although now it's going to become operator owned, operator leased. I, you know, operator. I don't even know what the the, the declination is, but to me, this is, this is really weird and sad because Outpost is telling you that we need to have integrated infrastructure, right? They're, they're, and, and I think one of the reasons that Outpost is possible now is because of this Nitro hardware stuff. And, and we don't have time to drill into what Nitro hardware is and why it's important, but it's basically encrypted end to end encrypted managed, right? So it's a, creates a new management plane um, with more security for, for Amazon to control the gear in a secure way on outside of their razor wire uh, gunship boundary. The, but that's, and so, so Nitro is sort of this enabling technology, but at the same time, it's, it's incredibly integrated stuff. And that to me is what was missed, right? If, if what you're describing the alternative is I've got to go and, you know, pull together a shopping cart of vendors and piece it all together to make it work. That's that's not attractive. I can see why Amazon is, is and Google and Microsoft are crushing the market there. Or you go buy it as a fully integrated stack from say Nutanix or you know Dell for VxRail or something like that or whatever they call the new thing. Um, but those are incredibly the price premium on that is incredibly expensive. And if you break the seal, you void the warranty. Right. And so so we've 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 crossed into this like, oh, either you completely black box it and it's it's you know, this thing and I you know, in order for me to run it, I have to give up management control. Um 
which seems so antithetical to what a lot of the roots of our technology base are. Um, it's it, wow. It feels like we've gotten this weird polarization going where people have just given up. Um, well, or I would say we've come home. Uh, how hmm. how many people fully managed and operated their their uh, thirty two seventy mainframes? And, Ouch. You know, right. Yeah. So, I mean, well, if you're that's not that that is not a, a cheery scenario. I mean, granted, the mainframes are still there and they're they're powerful and everything's great, but those things are as locked down as you can get and as restricted and as expensive as you can get. Right. But I think it, as the as a model. That's why I think I, I call it sort of coming home that we had effectively IBM had the keys to your office, like physically could walk into your office and they had badges, they had, you know, software level control, modem access at any time. You you fully trusted that they could do that thing because you realized that you just didn't want to build teams that could do that because you wanted to do things around like running your business. So it's kind of funny that we just got in the game. We're like, well, we can do IT cheaper than IBM, you know? And so we got into distributed computing and, you know, servers became cheaper and, and, and everything got cheaper and people became smarter and the careers of the 2000s opened the door to this thing where we could like, hey, let's just own our destiny. Well, all of a sudden we realized owning your destiny means you own it all the time and it sucks because <laughs> you can't. And you can't innovate as fast as a collective. And so then they've said, well, what if we kind of go in the middle? Like we keep some stuff, uh, but hey, like if we're going to, if they're going to innovate and share that innovation with us and I still get it in my data center and I can keep employing my people who are kind of really smart and I like, mm, it's a kind of a nice middle ground. You know, what it looked like in, in five years? That's where it's going to be pretty interesting as we see the actual adoption rates and, and stuff. But yeah, th this is this to me is where we're, we're really are looking at, you know, these technology waves. And, and what you're describing to me is potentially where IBM tried to make the mainframe fit these use cases that, you know, the word processing PC type word use cases. And it wasn't the right. It was better than the, you know. All, you know, alternatives at the moment, but there was a market. And, and that's some of the ways what, what I see is happening is that we're establishing this market. Um, and this is where yeah. I think definitely the, the, the timing of, it's a, a sort of a perfect storm of, of many things that have come together. Uh, it's comfort level. It's these, the decisions around how this is going to be done is being done at the CIO level. So it's a very top-down sale. It's a very top-down strategic approach. Uh, and then what we have is sort of the folks that are in the, the, the in the trenches, they're going to now be bridging the gap like the mainframe people did who were like, this distributed thing's a fad. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like, man, how come there's 2000 servers? I know because I literally was the I was the kid that made 2000 servers in a company that they said, why are you making Windows servers? We're a mainframe shop. You know, why are you deploying Active Directory? We're a Novell shop for identity management. And I was always this weird kid that was always doing these science experiments. And then it's next thing you know, you're you're leading an advanced di distributed engineering team and you've got 2000 servers under your belt. <laughs> so it's uh, I think that we are now in the next wave of whereas people, we need to figure out like, hey, 
yeah, let's not dig our claws into the into the cell walls right now because we're we're all getting moved and now we personally have a responsibility of like do I go Kubernetes? Do I start digging into ARM architectures? Moving down to kernel understanding? Do I move into the application tier and get a bigger, closer view of of how I need to think as a systems architect now versus like I'm a VM admin? Yeah, like oh, Azure, God, you and I, I would love to, I would love to, to shed on this one. We imagine maybe that'll be my hundredth podcast. We can talk about that. The idea that I go to uh, Microsoft conferences. And you talk to people who are like, hey, you're using Azure? Yep, I'm the Azure administrator. Uh, oh, yeah, what was your path to there? Like, I changed my title last year. I, I'm, I'm a Windows admin, and now I'm the Azure admin. So we've got that type of cloud thing that's going on. Uh, that's, it, just, it just, they got dropped into it, which is interesting. Yeah. I, and it's, you know, when you look at these tools, they're still incredibly hard to use. They're not particularly integrated. Um, it's a, it's a it's a challenge from that perspective and like you you talk about you know the team a team underlay as as my friend tom hollingsworth calls it networking nerd tom's awesome mm. and he has this idea of like no matter how much overlay networking we do yeah i'm team underlay because guess what all that software defined networking runs on hardware uh and uh, you know and that's why i've been chasing your direction you know so long just kind of like really super involved in watching how it works and people that i talk to and like that uh, the underlay is 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 still super important and we're gonna we have to be better at doing that before we can yeah. think that otherwise like that's why aws could walk into a data center and say like you're doing it all wrong kids uh let let us take this over here hold hold my beer and and we'll deploy outposts I, and I, you know, I've, I've done, you know, I've done a lot of research and I'm, I'm for, for people who are listening, I will do some, some actual shows and some, uh, deep dives on outposts in the coming year. Um, it's, it's fascinating, uh, and it's troubling and it's expensive. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's going to be one of those things like you're describing, Eric, that's, you know, oh, wait. This is mainframe. I need distributed infrastructure. I want to choose things and I want to, I want to have it work a certain way. And it might be that, you know, green grass is the right alternative for you, but there's a big delta between, you know, green grass and outposts. Yeah. From, good that, from that perspective. Um, and, I but I, the, I, the core ahead. thing I want to, I think what people are getting, what they're selling and, and I see it all day. We're not, it's, it's cloud economics. It, like the way in which the CIOs want to believe their company is consuming and creating services, they want it to be done like the cloud. And if we can't do it in private cloud, which we're getting there, thus VX Rails are selling like crazy. Nutanix mm -hmm. is doing well. Uh, you know, HPE still strong, even even though like some of them are maybe losing general market position against each other. They're still it's it's like saying that the the 10th person at the Olympics is slower than the other nine people. Yeah, they're faster. <laughs> they're faster than 200 million other runners. Right. They're still in an elite category of people. So even the HPE is evacuating, you know, part of their market share to the competitors. They're still selling millions and millions of dollars of <laughs> hardware. Yeah. So that and that's Although the reason is because that's the cloud economics. Like people just want to like just deploy it. It's kind of like it's rack scale, you know, type of stuff. Uh, and then and it just works. They just plug it all together. And it works. And, and people like that. It just works kind of mentality. 
It's interesting to me how far that that's gone um, because I think Outpost is the next extension on that. It's, you know, they roll it in, they plug it in, you manage it through your AWS APIs and you, you know, yeah, you're right. They're, they're going to have a key to your, your building effectively and let you let you go. And your control plane is going to be managed by them. If you're offline, you can't spin new gear up, you know, can't spin up new instances. Um, it's incredibly wired in as you're now dependent, right? Everything you're saying is, is totally right. And you're have ceded a degree of control of your infrastructure, which everybody's going to tell you is, you know, IT infrastructure is your, your lifeblood of a, of your enterprise. And in a lot of cases, your life, right? Everything we're doing is tied into IT infrastructure. Now it's, you know, the control plane is ceded to, you know, a cloud company. And, and I think the other, the operational model has driven that because, and it's funny, like we, again, just the same way that people love to walk into a data center and see flashing lights and they, I own those, like I, I have control. We've ceded control to AWS, but we've also ceded responsibility because they're going to come in and say like, hey, four nines, what, five nines, whatever their, their number of nines are going to deliver you. And they're probably going to do pretty well at it because obviously they don't just like haphazardly deploy this solution and they're like, oh, I hope it stays up. Like it's architected to have vast amounts of fault domains inside it and still survive. But, you know, on the cloud, you know, whole AZs go away. Uh, services just drop. It happens it ends, and they violate their SLA. And then you get 10% off your monthly bill for that service that month. You're like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but Ooh, well, we also yeah. know that the engineering and innovation is happening at a at a scale that's in like just untenable for a company to maintain. So mm. I, that's the trade off I think that people are are willing to give in. That so that they cede control, but they also eliminate you know or abscond themselves of responsibility, absolve themselves of responsibility rather. Sorry, like it's and and I think they feel more comfortable with that. And then the like, hmm. so the system, I, you're going to see a lot of enterprise architects are just like smiling from year to year. They're like, this is, this is my backyard because I'm still architecting resilient systems and anti-fragile systems. And I just oh, you know, change the underlay. I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause we're talking about arm. We're talking about edge. We're talking about Kubernetes. We're talking about machine learning. I mean, there, there's all these technologies and one of the, while, while Amazon is incredibly smart, it's still a couple of two pizza teams that you're talking about. And they're building by design. I mean, Jaffe was, was very specific about this. They're not trying to build an integrated system. They're building a jigsaw puzzle of services. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, at some point it's sort of like, all right, and, and those services can go away or be changed, right? You don't have a lot of longevity and control. I, I look at that and I'm like, all right, the idea that Amazon can out innovate a community in a in a you know using commodity infrastructure software and you know a whole bunch of different people trying different things um that's not you know it it's a very interesting conceit for us to say amazon or google or microsoft right uh, but you know we keep coming back to amazon here is smarter from an operations perspective than everybody else and and that's statistically even if they are only hiring 
the top 10% of everybody, it's still statistically and numbers wise, not true. It's just not true. And the amount of inertia and, you know, they're building things that satisfy their architectural needs, which oh, are yeah. actually routed in 10 year old, right? 10 year old cloud infrastructure. Um, and, you know, granted, I mean, like the Nitro stuff I saw is amazing. There's, there's some really interesting stuff coming, um, but we're effectively pulling up, you know, and now, now, now we're getting into the, the you know, it's interesting how our conversation went where Mark and I sort of started. And, and I'm, I'm going to suggest if people you know, want, they can sort of dot, dotted line over to that conversation about what it means when you monoculture, um, you know, all that innovation, it's focused on Amazon and excel, accelerating Amazon like crazy and bleeding over into other clouds. And yet it's all focused on Amazon's way of doing business. And, you know, the commercial model, the, the cloud infrastructure model, the architectures, right? What they need to feed the way they've built their infrastructure. Well, yeah. Um, and, and that's the so opinionated closed infrastructure one right if you think about it and and why now that's the that's the one that's that's you and me going for three hours <laughs> we are that's gonna, well this is we and, are and, gonna break and, that one down one day because <laughs> that is that's effectively uh like that's like kahneman and tversky level of of what we've done to the world by late and like i said i won't we won't go far into that just because obviously that you and mark talked you know are going to have a bit on on sort of that piece of it but i think that's the yeah. fundamental thing of of why this stuff worked is, you know, it's not necessarily bespoke, you know, infrastructure. It's just purely it's opinionated and and you just get it and it, when it works. And if it doesn't work, then it's your fault because <laughs> you That's, didn't figure it out right. And, 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 and for the listener, Eric and I specifically chose not to discuss open source in this podcast because we felt that it would take us down this rabbit hole. Um, and yet, I think we still get back into community shared development and things like that. And when we look at the coming year and, and to me, this is years, cause I think our conversation is a five-year horizon. Um, there's a, th this fascinating tension that we've pulled out very, we're very concrete on a whole bunch of, of technologies that are, you know, community commodity distributed infrastructure technologies and in infrastructure in a broad sense, you know, software included. And yet we keep being pulled into orbit around what three companies are doing. Really one company is doing in that market um, and their, and their influence from that perspective. Um, and it's sort of, sort of fascinating for, to me about how, how the conversation evolved. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's just, we see it every day. And if you, if you bust out a board game, right, everybody loves playing Monopoly until they're the ones that don't own Park Place and Boardwalk. Right. So, <laughs> so if they, but if they're the ones that are winning, they think it's a great game, right? So what happens when you're on the wrong side of the hotels? <laughs> and I think we're facing that one. And that's the, that's the sort of the industry shift, but definitely as a, as an architectural, like a hardware shift, Oof, you know, like ARM, people would have probably written off ARM a long time ago. Uh, Kubernetes, uh, obviously we didn't write it off. The level of adoption and the types of workloads and where it's going, how it's going to be operated is really what we, that's the new, that's the new green field of like, how are we going to do this and are we going to do it right or well? Uh, and we'll only know it's right when we do it wrong a bunch of other ways. 
And and I think that's also the we talked about K3S and you know like a simplified Kubernetes like Kubernetes light. That's why hey look I didn't even mention Nomad, uh, but I would say like that's a that's why I believe Nomad will be vastly successful because it's it's disturbingly simple. It plugs nicely into things, uh, and if you're uh, if you're using a HashiCorp ecosystem, it just kind of nicely plugs in, and you'll find a lot yeah. of people will just like oh I like it. I don't want the overhead of things. It's um, but really again it's just that these are like you said these are long plays we i could talk about it as 2020 you know but 2020 will be the the proof as it continues to slowly move uh so i i this has been a fascinating conversation we do we do need to wrap it up from a time perspective um i i think that there's a lot of room um amazon has shown that that we are you know the value of integrated infrastructure and, and going top to bottom, but it's not the only way to do it. So it's definitely the open the beautiful door for everybody else that's selling non AWS stuff to say, Hey, look, have you checked the price tag on outposts? All right, look what I got. And let me help you operationalize it in the way that really what is AWS selling you? And now I think it's just a, it's just still a beautiful opportunity. They very certainly aren't going to evacuate the ecosystem. They're going to own the top you know market share. But yeah, so it's I tell you, I'm excited by what's going to happen below the stack and above the stack. This is an application play space, and this is a an underlay play space now for the next decade. It's going to be pretty fun. Eric is amazing. Thank you. And with that, as always, uh, where do people find you and how can they listen to your own show? Ah, perfect. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So easy way to find me. I'm discoposse.com. You can find me. I'm at, uh, at discoposse on Twitter. Uh, I, I blog at the Turbonomic blog. Of course, if you go to turbonomic.com forward slash blog. I'm actually legitimately getting back on the, on the blogging bandwagon for work as well. Uh, and then of course go to discopossepodcast.com and you can uh, hear uh, lots of shows. I obviously urge you just, just Google, uh, uh, you know, Zeeacle, a disco posse, and you'll find us going back and forth amongst our podcasts. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so folks that do, do want to get out there. And of course you're listening to this podcast, get out there on iTunes and rate this thing. Rate mine, rate Rob's. We, this is, it, it does help. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Thank you very much for, you. for being a part right, of this. Eric. I appreciate the time and I'm looking forward to living these uh, next couple of years with you and seeing what, what happens. Amen.